This Quadcast podcast is brought to you by the book Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. For too long, people of faith have focused more on pointing out where other religions get it wrong. But what if we decided to focus more on all the ways those other religions get it right? This path might end up leading us into deeper understanding, connection, friendship, and peace. This was the idea behind the book that Choir Publishing and Pathios decided to assemble, gathering voices from different religious backgrounds who have learned to listen to those outside their own faith traditions. We hope that the wisdom they share with us here allows you to become more open to the truth and beauty to be found outside your own faith community. Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree, from Choir Publishing and Pathios, available now on Amazon. How can you be part of a religious community that straight up Sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold The church on. seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the Why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers, I would but they never don't even be a know part the questions we're asking. The church is the most vocal political voice against immigration. Some churches still don't want to claim that worship was the actual thing. Do you understand how ridiculous that is when the majority of people on the church end up going to hell? Like, how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is Anti-critical thinking, homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. (sighs) The church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And this, I think when I post it, should be episode 101. I just posted the interview I did for my 100th episode, so if you tuned in, it's good to give you a little bit of a glimpse into the journey of the past three years, I believe, and how this journey keeps unfolding. So yes, and I was talking to my friend Phil when he interviewed me, and you know, knowing the probability of, and I don't even know the statistics, just assuming there are some, but knowing that real possibility that podcasts don't last just like a lot of projects don't last and now to be three years in and 100 episodes in is it's a it's a cool thing you know I'm really happy the connections that came from it the conversations the the work that's actually out there for all of you to listen to so another expression of the simplicity of how we can have an idea and then we can just do it Of course, it's challenging to keep it going. There's all kinds of creative block. Yes, there is complexity and challenges in a practical sense of sustaining things, absolutely. But there's always this simple expression of you can have something within your heart, within your imagination, and then you can just begin. And that, to me, is such a powerful thing when it comes to understanding our own agency, our own creativity and the life God's called us to, to create and build and lead into the future. So two more things before I get into this. This this, this episode is called Uncertainty is My Specialty. And before I go into what that even is and why I would say that, two things. One, a brand new book with Choir, my publisher, called Sitting in the Shade of Another Tree. What We Learn by Listening to Other Faiths just came out. I'm recording this on a Wednesday, so it just came out yesterday. 
It is a group of authors from different religious traditions talking about what they have learned from other traditions than their own. So my chapter is called Suzuki or Zen's Suzuki, Merton and Me. DT Suzuki is a great Zen master. So it's my learning about him through Thomas Merton, the great Catholic contemplative, my sort of initiation into Zen through the process and how my understanding of Zen shapes my life as a Christian. So very interesting. You know, I think a really cool chapter I was happy to write. And other chapters that people might be interested in, not just Christians saying what I've learned from this faith, faith, but other people from different traditions saying what they've learned from different faiths as well. So cool project. So glad my publishers put that out. Grateful to be a part of it. Go pick that up sitting in the shade of another tree. And the next one is I am still doing spiritual direction. One of the things I always loved pastorally was sitting with people one-on-one, -on -one, hearing their stories, helping them listen to their own stories, to their own voice, to the Spirit of God in and through their stories so they can have clarity, so they can see next steps, so they can choose courage, they can choose a path to freedom, etc. So me doing spiritual direction now one-on-one -on -one, with people on Zoom is a continuation of that pastoral heart for people, my desire to be present with people in their journey. And I just wanted to mention that again, because one of the last people who reached out to me to do spiritual direction did so because they heard me talking about it on this podcast, which I think is pretty amazing. So if that's you, if you're ever interested in more intentional, direct, one-on-one -on -one, guidance, somebody to help you listen to your own life, somebody to help you gain some clarity on the path forward. Let me shut off my email like a freaking rookie that I am keeping it on. Um, yes, email me kevin at kevinsweeneynow.com and I would love to explore that further. Or go on my website kevinsweeneynow.com to explore that. Now, why would I say that uncertainty is my specialty, right? That's, that's on a job application, like tell us something special about yourself. I'm like, well, when it comes to uncertainty, I'm pretty comfortable in that space. And that doesn't provide really any value to a company, or at least they don't realize how much value it brings. And that, that also you zoom out even more or zoom in even more to the depths of my own life it's funny how a lot of my best gifts are just understanding the depth and the terrain of our interior life. Like I've never been that in interested, to be honest, in outer space. And even though as people learn about the unfolding and expanding universe and about dark holes and about galaxies and when a new, I don't even know what it's called, those like What's that famous, you know, telescope that takes these photos everyone trips out on? And I think they're really cool. Don't get me wrong, but they don't really do too much for me, to be honest. I've been more of an explorer and a pioneer of our interior universe. That's what's always fascinated me since I was a teenager. And really giving my life to that inner journey it's like, what am I familiar with? What am I in, you know, a quote unquote or, or not an expert on? What can I see is the interior experience of courage, 
and letting go and the creative process and forgiveness. And it's not just, it's not doing these things, although that is the fruit of understanding them if you step into them courageously, but it's me understanding what is happening within us just beneath the surface of what is happening around us, to us, or through us. So forgiveness, there is a mysterious element to it, but an acceptance and letting go, but there is an inner mechanics to forgiveness. And I'm talking about this in a forthcoming book. It's just a part of it. It's not the whole thing. But I map out this journey called finding, facing, feeling, and forgiving. You have to find what is there. You have to face and name what is there. Then the mysterious part people get stuck on is you have to feel the fullness of that thing. And then and only then can you forgive someone. That's just, yes, it's the perennial tradition of mystics and the wisdom I've learned, but it's also my own paying attention to what's happening within me as I'm doing things. It's like for the last 20 years, I'm not just doing something in the moment, but whenever I'm doing something, I'm also outside of myself being highly aware of what is happening in me emotionally, psychologically, and physiologically while I'm doing something. So there's an awareness of what's happening and there's an awareness of the awareness that is also happening at the same time. Uncertainty is one of my specialties because I'm quite comfortable in those spaces of the unknown and uncertainty. I'm familiar with not just the, the terrain of life as we're going through uncertainty, but the inner terrain that is happening within us and what we're going through while we're going through uncertainty. Because there is, there are universal experiences we all have as we're going through our contextual and specific forms of unknown and uncertainty in our lives. And I was listening to something that sparked this idea and I was like on an exercise bike in the gym in my building and I wrote down the heart of this just in one sitting. Like, here's a few things to think about while we're in our own places of uncertainty. It's not a, it's not a map. It's not a chronological thing. It's, oh, here's a few things to think about. Here's a few analytical tools to have. Here's a couple frameworks to have, to think about, to remember as you're navigating your own places of uncertainty. Because I believe you can actually have peace in the midst of uncertainty. I can believe while you're in a space that's very hard, you can still be present to the good that's right in front of you. Those are not mutually exclusive. I cannot know what's going to happen 10 months from now in my work, but I can still be alive and present and grateful for my kids who are sitting right in front of me. I'm not so stressed out. I'm not so worried and obsessing and trying to manage my entire future that it prevents me from being awake and alive to what's going on around me, whether it's appreciating what's happening around me, whether it's being aware of, okay, what is coming up within me? No, it can be both of those at the same time. So I have a few, I think it's four of these I wrote down. Who knows how much depth I will get into them exactly, but I hope they will be helpful for you as some sort of tools, some directions on a map for your own times of uncertainty, of unknown, which uncertainty, I'll start here, 
It is the place we avoid more than anything else. And it is the place that has the most potential for transformation and change in our lives. There is an irony there. The very place, the places we are least likely to go are the places we are most likely to grow. That's why, you know, I am a preacher for the rest of my life because I love those one or two liners like that. So here's my first thing that I, some of this is just what I do, wisdom that I've gained as I've navigated my own experiences of uncertainty. One, it's good to place your individual experiences within larger patterns of experiences. You're not the first person to be here, right? To me, that's, that's really helpful and comforting. Other people have been here before. There are other stories that are expressions of how larger patterns of risk moving into uncertainty, moving through the unknown, through to the other, through the other side of it. There are many other stories culturally, religiously, relationally around you. Probably there's more stories that express how this larger pattern of moving through uncertainty works and eventually, and hopefully that's what we wonder works out, right? There were stories back then about how things went for people. And there are stories that maybe even tell us how things can go for us now. So your it's like your individual experience is always taking place within a larger ecosystem and life flow of other people's experiences who have felt what you have felt, seen what you've seen, feared what you fear. You're not the first person to be here. That these spaces... Not only are they normal, but they seem to be essential for a life that keeps growing and moving forward. Right? I can remember, you know, we always had, you know, my wife and I started and led a church for about 10 years in our neighborhood of Kaka'ako here in Hawaii, right? So a lot of my stories the past 10 years are filtered through that, gave so much of my life to it. And in the neighborhood, we had many seasons where there was uncertainties of where we were going to meet, right? The first we met in our home for 16 months. Then we met in the back of a coffee shop, which was an event space. That was great. Then we met in this other like multi-purpose use, like cultural space for art shows and movies and fashion shows and events. And we met there for a while. Then we met in a bar for two and a half years. And then we moved to another tech creative co-working space like we moved around every year to year or two essentially there was times like two weeks from when we were meeting i didn't know where we would meet like it just got sprung on me this place is shutting down like five days before we're supposed to meet or you have until the end of the year to meet here and then you can't meet here anymore. So now I have two to three weeks to figure out where we're going to meet. And I know for you, that might not sound catastrophic. That might not sound stressful, but really put yourself in that place. You know, you have a major role in organizing, pastoring and leading a community. It's not just you. It's a community of people around you, right? And all of a sudden I have two weeks to figure out where we're supposed to meet when 
our budget is tiny and there's really limited space in a very dense part of the city. Man, I, I remember just walking around the neighborhood or walking through parts of it that are being built and just having these conversations with God saying, if, if you're the God of Abraham who led people through away from home and into uncertainty, if you're the God of it's like conversations like this, if you're the God of Moses who led people through the wilderness to new life, if you're the God who leads people to new beginnings and creates new life back then, I need you to be that God for us right now. Like I remember having very specific prayers like that. And returning to those ancient stories was me saying, this isn't new for me. Even if it seems audacious, like those are larger social political things. Those are thousands of people. You just have a church at that time, probably let's say 50, 60 people or something. But to me, no, the scale doesn't matter. The spirit is involved in all of our lives. And me looking back to those stories and seeing, oh, that's what God did then. That's how life worked then. That's how people responded in faith then. Maybe it isn't just for them. Maybe that's a pattern of how it always works for all of us if we continue to be patient, if we have the faith, if we don't resort just to our own forcing of the process because we're scared to wait. Right? My individual, this is a helpful thing. Your individual experience is always happening within a larger experience that human beings go through, right? Many ancestors have come before us. They've left their sacred imprint on the universe of what struggles they've gone through and what they've overcome. And to me, that's always a very helpful thing where it's very easy to be egocentric. No, you're a part of a much larger unfolding and growth of human beings. And you're actually a part of a larger unfolding of the universe itself. So your life is important, but it isn't the point of everything. And everything you do happens within a larger experience. And for me, there's something beautiful and there's a sense of solidarity and communal experience, not just with the global humanity, but with the global and historical you know, life of people. So one, you're not the first person to be here. Other, let's, let's concretize this. Other artists have reinvented themselves again and again. Like you see amazing stories of designers for Nike, right? I'm into sneakers. So this person works for this company and their first three years, they worked in product at Reebok. And then for seven years, they did this for Nike. And then they left and had their own thing going on at Puma. And it's like, this whole unfolding journey with many new beginnings along the way. So when you think about, can I begin again? Can I do something new? Can I change careers? Can I do this differently? You're not the first person to ever do that. Other artists have reinvented themselves again and again. Other athletes have wondered what life looks like beyond their role as a competitor. Other men and women have had to stare deeply into the unknown as they made decisions to move on from relationships they assumed would always last. You're like this that, that that can be a mantra in these moments when it feels overwhelming. I'm not the first person to be here. There's many others. It's like there are sacred grooves etched out in the brain of the universe 
by other people who have taken these kinds of risks, felt this kind of uncertainty, stepped into this form of the unknown and created the future that we're now living in. You're not the first person to be here. So go find the stories. There's biblical stories that are showing people like moving into the Genesis 12 is Abraham moving away from everything he's ever known. And, and Abraham becomes the father of not just Christianity, but, you know, Islam, Jewish people, Christians all trace their lineage back to Abraham. Rastas, I believe Mormons, they all trace their lineage back to that Genesis 12 story. And eventually they all believe it goes sort of in different paths. What's fascinating is you never even knew Mormon people and Rastas had that much in common. No, they both go back to Abraham. And how did Abraham's journey begin in Genesis 12? By God calling him away from everything he's ever known, calling him to take a risk and move away, which at that point in the ancient Near East, you just didn't do. Like people didn't move back then like we do, like they weren't thinking, I'm going to go spend a summer in Babylon because, you know, my family has a house there and we hang out there. I'm going to I'm going to move to Mesopotamia because I heard the coffee there is great. Like, no, people only moved back then because of war and famine and because they had to. So our story for human like this is an archetype of a story for all of human beings. And what does it begin with? A massive risk, uncertainty and moving into the un known that there's stories in the bible go look at stories of people who work for companies and work for brands and designers or whoever it is and look how many times they've reinvented their career it's oh i'm not the first person to be here so that's the first thing i find that to be helpful and inspiring and very encouraging during my own times which i'll get to that i have been in my own season of unknowing and uncertainty for almost two years that I feel like I'm just on the edge of moving out of. So all of this is very fresh to me. Here's number the first part. You're not the first person here. The second part is thinking about it like this. Ask yourself this question in spaces of uncertainty. What part of the story is this? That's a funny question for me, but it's actually something I really do. I don't just say because it sounds good. What part of this story is this? As if your life is a great quest, as if your life is a movie, as if your life is an unfolding narrative arc, right? What part of the story is this? Like I can actually see in real time my life in story arcs. You're like, oh, this is... This is like the part of the movie where the person is at their lowest. Oh, this is where if this was a story, the person needs to keep going, even though it looks hopeless, right? You know those stories. There's only a handful of stories that are ever told. Oh, this is the part of the story where people turn on you and turn against you, right? You know those parts of the movie? Great. Everyone celebrates them. They kind of make a mistake, do something wrong. Everyone turns their back. That's a defining moment. Are they going to walk away, give up and leave? Or are they going to, in the face of all of this disapproval, continue to keep going? What part of the story is this? And also a follow-up question to that is, what part of the story is this? And what is required of me in this moment? 
Because what part of the story is like the context? It's the background. But what is required of me, now we're in the interior life. Now we're in our agency. Now we're in our decisions. What is required of me here? Oh, is this the part of the story where I have to let go? Is this the part of the story where I have to have the courage to begin again? Oh, is this the part where I sit with everything that's happened and I feel the fullness of what it is? I recognize what it's not and I accept where I am. Oh, is this the part where I have to accept that the shape of the previous chapter of life is over and that I can't go back? Oh, right now is not a beginning time. Right now is a letting go time. Or is this the part where I just put it all on the table and be completely honest with everything? What am I doing? Do I want this? Is this good? What do I like about this? Am I going to keep giving my life to this? Right? What part of this story is this? And by the way, This is just another exercise of actually listening to your life, of listening to your heart, of listening to our bodies, and of trying to listen to the sound of our own voice. What part of the story is this? Now, let me give you a few concrete examples of different parts of stories in our lives. Some of them uncertain, probably all these are uncertainty for me. And, and then to think about what is required of us when we do it. So like many pastors, like many small business owners, like anybody who had anything that was associated with people, community, customers, gathering, organizing, etc. The pandemic, not seeing each other was a very, very, very challenging time. It was hard for everybody personally. For certain people, depending on their jobs, it had even more complexities and challenges professionally or vocationally. And with the Hawaii being the most locked down state, our church at the time, imagine we did not meet consistently, like weekly in person for 18 months. 18 months. I remember, maybe you've had your own moments. I remember when I first heard our church couldn't meet in our new space for four weeks, I was just in baffled at how can Imagine survive not meeting four weeks together. And we did not end up meeting consistently for 18 months. We would do once a month outdoor and like many people, you adapt, you do digital. I get it. We all did our best. But without that meeting consistently, obviously it changes things. How many people moved away? How many people you just don't hear from? How many people like I wasn't, I made a decision like I can't go chase everybody down. So I'm not reaching out to everybody personally. I'm not hearing from them. I get it. Everybody's doing their best. That was a thing I accepted during that whole experience. And I remember moments during the pandemic. I would be in my bedroom, which is where I'm at right now, on this chair, which is where I'm sitting at right now. And I would just scroll through Imagine's Instagram. And I would look at pictures. It was like I would scroll through the entire history of it. And I would just sit there and let myself feel sad. You know why? Because I was sad. That sadness was in me. 
So what part of the story was it for me there? It was naming the heavy emotions that were in me. It was something like, you know, embracing the grief of accepting this isn't what it used to be, right? Something like these things. It's right. That moment, what was required of me in that moment, it wasn't building a new thing time. It wasn't get others excited about what I'm doing time. No, it was a, well, this is a part of the story where you're losing, where where things are fading. So what is required of me? Oh, to feel the heaviness of where I am time. That's what I do. I would sit there and just let myself feel whatever I felt, which was just sadness and, you know, probably grief of letting go of the way things were and dying and like practicing acceptance of the loss that is happening right in front of me at that time. That was the part of the story. If I were to just avoid that and be like, no, let's just do more and more and more. No, that, that, that wasn't the part of the story that I was in, right? What, what part of the story is this? What a fascinating question to ask. Or another season when we started Imagine, right? So think about eight years or whatever before that, Beginning of 2013, my wife and I moved back to Hawaii. We take a huge financial risk. You don't know how the year is going to pan out. We don't know how we're going to pay rent exactly, I'm sure, later on in the year. But we feel this sense of calling from God to begin this new community. Okay, we're both in. Awesome. Terrifying? Yes. Scary? Of course. Um, Yes. I remember those. I told a story in one of my books. Those first two weeks we got here. Our furniture and things we shipped over hadn't come. We were sleeping on our living room floor using like random clothes from our luggage for blankets. My wife, understandably, you know, has moments of great fear and uncertainty. And how is this going to work? And it's like, what? Are, it's just the whole like, what are we doing? Should we have done this? Man, that's the real. I'm staring into an abyss of the future, not knowing how this works out, but also knowing deeply this is right for me right now. Right. So when we start Imagine, and if I were to go back and say, what part of the story is this? It's not sadness time. It's not grieving time. It's not feeling the weight of everything that's happened. No, it's it's courage time. What is this is a season? What what story is this? When you have the courage to build something new. What is required of me? Courage, bravery, resiliency, continuing to keep showing up this sense of marching forward into the unknown and uncertainty, not knowing what's going to happen. Tremendous failure, tremendous faith and adventure, embracing the adventure of a new beginning. That's That was that moment. There's many other moments in Imagine. Oh, what part of the story is this? This is the story where a lot of the people I've known in the church are gone and there's a new wave of people and a part of me is wondering can I really open my heart again to a new group of people? Or do I just go through the motions? Oh, what's required of me? Letting go of the last season to be fully present in this season. Oh, that's because that's what's required of me because that's the part of the story we're in. In culture, in film, in media, you see the journeys, the risks, the loss, the challenges of other people's stories unfolding, or even Jesus's story unfolding, right? And we love seeing other people's stories. 
We love seeing other people's risks, right? Why is Lord of the Rings? Lord of the Rings is one of the only like trilogy movies I've ever seen. I never watched Star Wars. I've never seen Harry Potter. I've never seen other quest kind of movies, but Lord of the Rings I love. Talk about risk. Like to us, we have a vantage point because it's not real and it's a movie to watch it and feel the risk, but also know they're going to be okay. But if you put yourself in, if, the, if that's a, in, the, in the mind of a character, they didn't know they weren't going to die right there. They didn't know they were going to be unexpectedly picked up by giant eagles and taken back. They didn't know Gandalf was going to show up in a different thing. No, we love those stories because they're real risks. It's real uncertainty. It's real unknowing. And we all love watching stories of risk and uncertainty and yet when it comes our time to do it in the epic of our own life, man, we just resist it at all costs. And maybe that's why the great mystic Rumi says, but don't be satisfied with stories, how things have gone with others. Unfold your own myth. How good is that? Un don't, don't be satisfied. No, you've seen the stories, but this whole point that God has created for you is for you in a larger narrative of all of humanity to unfold your own myth. Ah, I just, I love that line because it empowers us to embrace every part of our story. So the second one, what part of the story is this? And what is required of me? I find that to be very helpful. Oh, this is this is not a season to do more. This is a season of resting, right? That was for me. I went from almost two, two years ago right now, actually, we were reopening Imagine, leading into the fall of deciding to close it down at Christmas. And it's been, you know, a little bit over 18 months since we first announced we were closing it. I've been in a long season of like loss, grief, acceptance of where we were at, which was good and right. I'm super thankful for, and I've never regretted that decision, but you inevitably go into a season of uncertainty. And I've been living in that for, you know, over 18 months, probably a little bit longer from when we first announced and when I knew in my heart, it was over. So I've been in this place for a while. And that's why I know there's a way uncertainty is my specialty because I've felt the grief. I've had to take the time to heal. I've done, I've taken my time to rest. I haven't rushed the process. I've enjoyed my kids along the way. Yes, there has been negative emotions as well. Sadness, uh, loneliness, the feeling of loss during those times, but all of all of those negative emotions we can embrace because they happen within a larger container of acceptance and of trusting of God through the process. I don't deny the negative parts, but I include them in a larger space of acceptance and trust and faith in how God unfolds the myth of this, the unfolding of the universe and the unfolding of my own life. <laughs> 